This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Everyone always tells engineers that they need to become great communicators and also that to be a great leader, you need to build your confidence. But how do we do those things? Welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking with Kevin Lewis, licensed professional engineer, CEO and president at Henderson Engineers, a national building systems design firm headquartered in Kansas City. And Kevin is going to share some of his insights on his journey to becoming a high-level executive his unique management style, and his approach to making balanced decisions. He is also going to give you a strategy, one thing that you can do to both build your communication skills or any skill set, and also at the same time, build your confidence. My name is Anthony Fasano. I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers become better managers and leaders. Let's jump right in with Kevin. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. I'm excited to have with me Kevin Lewis. Kevin is a licensed professional engineer. He's also the CEO and president at Henderson Engineers, a national building systems design firm headquartered in Kansas City. Kevin, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, really excited to have you. Looking forward to getting some, of course, leadership advice and different things we'll get into. But I think just to start us off, Kevin, tell us a little bit about the company what kind of services you offer, how large is the firm, just a little bit of background for our audience. Henderson Engineers was started in 1970 by Fran Henderson. I'm our fourth CEO and president. So 53-year company, if you think about it, uh, that's a lot of existing leadership from a few people. And I've been in this role for about 14 months. So three CEO and presidents accounted for about 52 of those years. But I would say this, our growth over the past 52 years has been pretty consistent at about 10 to 15% per year. We've got major national clients. We have about a thousand employees over 13 different offices. And we definitely think of ourselves as a building consultant. So all things building, so mechanical, electrical, plumbing, fire protection, engineering. We have refrigeration engineers. We have a big technology group. In addition to that, we have a sister firm that we call Henderson Building Solutions. We do construction management. That's where we do our commissioning out of. We do some other unique things as well, like vertical and horizontal transportation. So that could be elevator modernizations or whatnot. But essentially, as a company, we kind of focus on five vertical markets. So that's retail, commercial, healthcare, venue, and community. So those are kind of the five areas we focus. Within those sectors, we have a lot of varying practice. For instance, within venue, we would do sports, convention center, aviation, and in each of those different sectors tells a story like that. 
That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you guys have obviously had a lot of stability in the leadership, as you mentioned, and you've had really consistent and steady growth over the years, which is great to hear. And I also understand that you worked on the airport there in Kansas City, which just kind of opened or was a big upgrade, right? I had the unique opportunity to fly out the old one and into the new one. I don't think that happens very often. But when you think about the Kansas City Airport, when it was first designed, it was for convenience. So the whole thought was, can I drop you off at the curb and you can be to your gate within 60 seconds? Really cool concept when it first kind of came out. And because of that, after 9-11, it really didn't take super well to the enhanced security that was required. So it, it really didn't think about the future. So essentially, Kansas City had to do something to consolidate. So they took those three separate terminal buildings and we consolidated to one new terminal building, 1.5 billion completely ground up. And uh, yeah, that opened about three days ago and it looked fantastic. So kudos to our partners, SOM and Clark Construction. We were happy to do the engineering on it, but a huge success for everybody involved. I know you guys do a lot of high profile projects across the country, but I'm sure it's nice to have one there by your uh, corporate headquarters, which is really cool. Absolutely. And uh, another cool fact about it, it was the first lead gold version for new ground up terminal in the Midwest, second across the entire United States. So that was pretty cool. So all electric boilers and chillers and just a lot of really neat features. Let's jump into it here. You are the CEO and president. You're a young guy. Talk about your career in terms of did you have a goal of getting to like a high level executive, you know, leader of a company? Talk about your journey to get to where you were today. We do something at Henderson called Coffee Connections. And it's essentially you do a one on one with an employee. It's about 15 or 20 minutes. By far and away, this is the number one question I get asked by every single person I do a coffee connection with. And uh, I think I'll, I'll say it pretty simply I've graduated from Kansas State in 2000 with a degree in mechanical engineering. I never thought that my journey would take me to this position and role. With that said, I've, I think I've always had a high level of ambition. So to me, it's always been looking across any organization that I've been part of, and I haven't always been with Henderson, but looking across that organization and saying, what are the skill sets that I have and what are the gaps the organization have, and how can I position myself best to help uh, shore that up? So. It's always, in my mind, been less about me and more about the organization, what I can bring to that than what it can bring to me. But that journey, because of that mindset, I think every time there was an opportunity, it was something that I was always interested in, something I was always looking at. How can I do that? How can I challenge myself? How can I be a better person? Continuous learning is something we believe in at Henderson. It's something I believe in personally. I took a lot of business courses along the way. I've challenged myself to do different things. So somehow that skill set that I brought and the need the firm had kind of coalesced. And here I am. I really like the philosophy of just trying to drive as much value as you can as an engineer. And I think what you said is important. I think for those listening, it's something that's important to think about is you want to drive as much value as you can for your organization. But I think it is also good to think about the organization's needs, right? Like you said, right? Like matching your strengths to the needs of the organization because it's two sides of the coin. I mean, number one, you want to be as valuable as you can be to your company. There's no doubt about that. But also if there's an opportunity or an area where either they are a little bit weaker than they need to be, or there's just a lot of opportunities in one sector and you can maybe add value in that area, 
if you can recognize that and bring that to the table and have a discussion with your leadership or your supervisor or whatever the case may be, it's going to be a win-win, I think, for all parties involved, right? And I think if you can create win-win opportunities for you, your team members, your company, that's really like the best route in your career, in my opinion, from what I've seen. I'll give a really good example of that. Obviously, never been a CEO before. And because I haven't, didn't 100% understand exactly what Henderson was looking for in that role. So obviously, I report to the board of directors. I was super keen on asking them, you know, what is it that you're looking for in that position? I want to make sure that my skill set matched with what they were looking at. And uh, when they came back, they said, you know, a lot of this position is external influence, right? You're kind of the main cheerleader for the organization. That's something that I really gravitated to. If they said, hey, you're more internal focused, that's something probably I wouldn't have been as interested in. And that's where our COO really covers a lot of those things. So my advice to anybody is always make sure that the role that you're going after matches up to the skill set and ask the questions. Don't just say, hey, I want to be CEO because that's a cool sounding title, but really understand what that brings and make sure that's something you're interested in. You seem like someone who has obviously leadership aspirations, which is one thing, but CEO is like another, like, you know, you could lead a department, you could lead a team, but when you're talking about a CEO now, you know, you're leading the organization as a whole. When you first get the idea or someone mentions to you like, hey, we think you might be a good fit for this role. I can imagine like what could go through someone like an engineer's, you know, what goes through your head when you're thinking about, hey, I want it to be a leader. This is like another level type of thing. But, you know, I think you just spoke to it and that the first step is just understanding like what that means. I mean, the CEO, like, yeah, it's like you said, it's that idea of, oh, wow, I'm the CEO, but it's also like, there's a lot of responsibilities there. It's a very specific defined role. So that can go for any position, right? Not just CEO, whether you're leader of a division, leader of a team, leader of a new service line or whatever the case may be, regardless of how the title sounds or the role sounds, it's really good for you to kind of roll up your sleeves and dig in and understand like what your roles and what your responsibilities are going to be. And again, back to what we said earlier, like how your strengths and how what you do can fit that role. Because ultimately, regardless of whatever role in your organization you want to take, I mean, you want to be successful. Yeah. You know, we only have so much time, as crazy as this sounds, in our work lives. You want to make sure that you're spending every minute being your best self, bringing that value. The other thing, too, about that role I find really interesting, and I say this all the time, I work for all 1,000 for employee owners at Henderson. I really do believe in servant leadership. So it's not me aspirationally saying, here's what we're going to do as an organization, but it's saying, hey, as an organization, what can I do to help us accomplish where we want to go to holistically? So I think that approach has been really good. I think it's resonated really well. I try to be really transparent in communication, high level of accountability, right? I love that I report to the board. So I've got goals just like everybody else that I have to meet and attain every year. I'm graded on my performance. All those things matter to me. It helps me stand up in front of the organization and, and say, you know, here's where we're going. It's been vetted. There is no somebody behind the curtain pulling the strings, but this is what you got. So that clarity and approach is something that I've really appreciated with this role. And I think Henderson has allowed me to do that. The servant leadership model is a good one. We need to serve the people that we're leading because if we don't give them what they need to succeed, it'll be difficult for them to succeed. And then the company can't grow and go in that direction. The biggest thing I can do is make sure that barriers are out of the way for the people that are doing really good work within our organization. And that's kind of the guiding light, right? Clear the path. 
uh, cut through that red tape, make sure that good idea and good work is happening across our organization. We've obviously had a lot of ups and downs, to say the least, over the last few years with COVID and the economy and just everything that's gone on and things that continue to happen in the world. As a leader of an organization, people kind of look to you and how you respond to these things that happen in society and in the world and, you know, their job stability, you know, maybe on the line and like they're looking at you for like thoughts and, and how do you kind of prevent yourself from either overreacting or underreacting or just like provide that kind of leadership just in terms of reaction to things that happen? How do you handle those situations? That's a fantastic question. I'm glad you brought that up. People sometimes are like, hey, you are so calm. You know, the world could be exploding. It, and my take on it is this, you can't overreact to any piece of information, right? There's always a piece of process. So the best thing I can do is remain neutral. You then take the information, then you really try to process it and see what we do with it next. But you're 100% correct that the world is kind of been on a roller coaster ride as we've gone forward. And, and it's affected us as an organization for sure. But I think honesty, that transparency, I say it all the time, I do not have all the answers. If you expect me to, that is misplaced. But just like everybody else, I can understand what's happening externally. I understand our organization well enough. I, I see what the path is for us as we go forward. So the best thing I can do is articulate that. We have a fantastic level of staff within our organization at a high level. Our leadership is, is really, really good. So I'm not on an island, right? So when things do happen, we put that group together and we put the best brains we've got to it. And we think about how are we going to respond? What's the reaction? How does this affect us internally? And then we communicate the path forward. So I think that calm and clarity and just transparency gives a sense of relief to the organization that leadership is taking all aspects into account and doing what's best for all of us. And it kind of goes back to your, you know, what you talked about earlier in terms of your leadership style and being really communicating with people and being transparent. And I think by doing those things, it kind of takes care of this issue in terms of how people look to you and for your thoughts and your leadership on these topics, because they already know that you're just a communicator and you're transparent. And so like Kevin's going to tell us like it is, he's going to tell us, you know, what's going on here, how it's going to affect the firm. And so it's one of those things that it just works itself out. I, you know, I know there's a quote, I, I can't remember right now exactly, but you know, if you tell the truth, like you have nothing to worry about, right? <laughs> You're a hundred percent correct with that. You don't ever have to remember what you told somebody to make sure you remember the story because you're always saying what's true. So it makes it really easy. I interviewed um, a woman on our engineering project management podcast recently, and she said something that was really great in that really good leaders know that they don't have to have all the answers, right? And you mentioned like you have a great team around you. And so I don't have all the answers, but I can certainly get them for you and help you do what you need to do. And I'll make sure I do that. And I think that that's good on a lot of levels. One, because I think as leaders, we need to remember that we're usually surrounded with other really smart and really great leaders that all have their own roles in the organization that we want to lean on for that. And I think sometimes we can get in troubles if we just try to take on too much and try to do too much and be someone that we're not when we just don't have that answer. We're a big believer in strengths finders, which uh, you're probably familiar with. And I'm oh yeah, we use it here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming some of the colors are and and I love that. And we have every single person at Henderson go through that. My number one is maximizer. So if you're familiar with that, good to great is your belief. You always surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. 
I don't like to be a micromanager. We've got experts for a reason. I want them to do the work that we brought them here to do. Part of my role is to source all those different bits and pieces of information, understand what's happening externally, make a decision that's best for the company, and then go forward and communicate it. And that's why the Strengths Finder, if you're not familiar with Strengths Finder, it is a, well, it's a book, Strengths Finder 2.0, but it's also an assessment that you can take and it identifies, well, it can identify a bunch of your strengths, but really the top five is what they key on. And just think about the value of understanding the top five strengths of every person in your organization, because you can really look at teams, you can look at different initiatives. And to Kevin's point, he knows his top strength and he can leverage that and make sure that he's leveraging it. And if you kind of get away from that or forget about that for a minute, you can kind of refocus yourself and say, hey, listen, my number one strength is this. I need to be making sure that I'm staying like within my lines here. So yeah, so assessment tools like that can be very beneficial in all aspects of really your career, project management, whatever the case may be. Just because if we're trying to maximize your team and get people to work together as effectively as possible, you want to understand the strengths of each person, understand that every person is different. In fact, sometimes when we're at EMI, like when we're looking at our different teams, we might decide to add someone to a team that has some complementary strengths because maybe we have like all the same strength on this team. You're 100% correct. And um, one of the things I'm constantly doing is I call it a gap analysis, right? So you look at your leadership team. Or do we maybe have some gaps, right? Are we leaning all one way or the other? If that is the case, let's supplement the team with somebody that maybe has an opposing view or fills in one of those cracks, right, that maybe we have as a team. So I'm a big believer that inside of groups, we're there to challenge each other. We can do it respectfully, but we're there to challenge each other. I am really opposed to groupthink when it comes to a leadership team. I want to see all the different angles, and then I want to source what we think is the best path forward as it relates to Henderson specifically. Yeah, I like that approach because it's like a very diverse approach, and you're getting different perspectives and different opinions from people, and then you can kind of go through them together. I guess the collaboration can come in kind of looking at all these ideas together on a wall or on a whiteboard or something and working through them, but you're allowing all the different ideas to come up by doing that, which is sometimes if we don't do that, we miss like huge opportunities. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is by Adam Grant. And if you're cool with it, I'll read it real quick. But he says, the goal of a great discussion isn't to land on the same page. It's to explore different views, nods and smiles, stroke your ego and close your mind, thoughtful questions, stoke your curiosity and stretch your thinking. Consensus makes you comfortable. Dissent makes you smarter. So that's one of the foundational elements that I like to bring to leadership meetings. I think when we get people thinking in different directions, good things happen as opposed to trying to hurt everybody down the same lane, you know, so to speak, because you're just blocking out some of the diverse perspectives and opinions on your team. If we do that, we don't want to miss out on something that could be a really great idea or a great initiative for your team, just because we're not giving people the opportunity. You're hundred percent correct. And I want to make sure that we're always thinking about the different biases that we have that we individually bring to the table. So if you kind of do a thought exercise around where am I biased at, having that diverse group helps weed some of that mindset out. And to me, you really do source the best answer for the organization. Over the past few years with COVID, I mean, COVID happened and kind of everybody was remote working overnight, more or less. And then since that time, different organizations have come back at different levels. They have people working home in the office, combination, hybrid, et cetera. There's some good things and some 
challenges around that. And I'm just wondering how Henderson has kind of approached that situation and how you've seen that play out. And I'm sure it's still an ongoing thing. I think it is for everybody and I think it will be, but just how you've to date kind of looked at that approach. I told the organization and the company meeting, I said, hey, here's the deal. Every year at the beginning of the year, we're going to evaluate how remote working, hybrid flexibility is going. And guess what? We're probably going to have continuous change, continuous improvement because you're, you're correct. It's going to change over time. What I don't want to do is put a rigid policy in place and say, there it is wipe your hands and walk away because we do have to update it. Flexibility though has always been at the heart of Henderson. And I, I think we were kind of some of the leaders in that we had some really flexible policies prior to the pandemic. Here's the deal. We are all professionals here at Henderson. And I want to respect that about people. We don't need to micromanage your time, right? You've got a, a task to do. My expectation is you're going to complete that task in the time allotted, how you make that happen, I'm cool with, right? As long as you're not affecting somebody else's workflow. Coming out of the pandemic, though, flexibility changed in, in what it meant. So like most of the world, we're on a 3-2, but engineering is a team sport, and I think we're better together from a business perspective. Mentorship, the quality of our work, the client experience are all better when we're in person. My gut feel is over time, we'll see people self-selecting back more into the office because they recognize that they're a better person, probably more focused on the outcome. Although I've heard some people are more focused at home because you don't have the distractions. I would say those distractions are typically work distractions that help the organization. There's those little run-ins that we want to have happen. So I think as an organization, we could put out, out a mandate. We don't need to do that. Our people understand that there's some level of working together that we just need to do face-to-face. We'll always probably trump Zoom, but I love the fact that we can jump on a Zoom call with anybody in the world and still get a pretty high level of business completed. Man, I really like that approach too. I think and we do that at EMI. I mean, listen, you have goals, you have objectives. As a professional, I've always found that, you know, if you're working with the right people, they're going to hit their goals regardless of where they do it from, right? You don't need to tell them how to do your work. You tell them kind of what you're looking for them to accomplish. And that seems to work really well. The thing about the whole remote work thing, I think on one side, I can see how people can make a case for being productive at home, right? You shut your door, it's quiet. You can crank through calculations or whatever you got to do. The challenge is like we live in, we're in a people business in the engineering world. And the idea of mentoring and learning from other people and sharing experiences is such a valuable thing, especially when you have like interns and like, you know, recent graduates that you're really trying to give them a good start to their careers, that that's something that's just very difficult to do in the remote format. So there are some benefits to remote work. I think there are a lot of benefits to being together. And hopefully, you know, I'm seeing a lot of firms are still kind of addressing both and trying to keep a good hybrid format. That's just going to happen going forward. But for those of you out there that do really like the remote work and the flexibility of it, I would just, you know, make sure that you have ways to meet with people in person on a somewhat regular basis for number one, because I think there are some aspects of your projects that probably will really benefit from it. But I think also your own development, or if you're a manager or a leader, your team's development is really, really hinges upon sitting down with someone around the table or taking them out to lunch once in a while or doing whatever the case may be to really help that grow those skill sets. For us, it's kind of uh, twofold. Number one, we have a lot of young people that are just hungry to learn from our more experienced or seasoned engineers. 
you can do that on Zoom, but man, it works really good when you're sitting down together at a desk and you're working through details or schedules or here's how you size this piece of equipment, right? And uh, I think about how I learned and I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for those mentors that helped me understand our industry and where we're trying to get to. The other thing I'll say is we are really focused on the client experience and the clients that we work with are mainly architects and contractors and, and building owners. One of the cool things I think we get to do is what we call a charrette, right? And it's basically where you get around the table with a lot of people, you throw out your best ideas and you kind of see what sticks. That works so great in person where you can kind of see the reactions and emotion. It happens real time. You don't have some of the oddity that you have on Zoom with interrupting people and trying to break into conversations. So in person always will have its time and a place as will Zoom, right? So it's really trying to blend those two things to best affect your company and where you're trying to get. All right. So I want to ask you about the two C's, communication and confidence. I'll take one at a time, really both critical to leadership, I think, in engineering or really any walk of life. So I've been told by a lot of your colleagues that you are an excellent communicator. And obviously you expressed it's part of your leadership philosophy is to just communicate really well the best you can. People always tell engineering professionals that you need to become a good communicator, but I feel like they don't always follow that up with how you can do it. So I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit on how, you know, some of the things maybe you've done or some of the tips you could share or advice you could give to our listeners on actually building your communication skills. How can one do that? Yeah, a lot of times I'll be in a group and I'll introduce myself and, and I'll just say, hey, I'm a mechanical engineer at heart. And uh, almost to a T, people are like, well, you don't really speak like an engineer. So maybe there's something to that communication. But communication is a muscle just like anything else. And you have to exercise it to make sure it's really good. Even for myself, I have to test it, right? And I go to a lot of conferences and a lot of times you may or may not know somebody it takes a lot of intentionality to say, I'm going to walk up to this group, I'm going to introduce myself, and I'm going to start a conversation. But to me, that's how it really starts with. And one of the cool tips that I got from somebody back in the day, and, and I fly a lot, was, hey, every time you're on an airplane, introduce yourself to your two seatmates and see if you can start up a conversation. It's kind of a fun little game to play. But when I talk about exercising the muscle, that's what I'm talking about. You really have to work at it. And each of those conversations helps you towards that path. And, and I would tell everybody, when you do that, uh, be more interested than interesting, meaning let the other people speak more than you do. It's not about you. It's about asking questions and finding out. But I think that's a really good start to the process, but you have to keep it going. You can't just do it once or twice and say, I figured it out. Every single time you're out and about, really work on that communication skill. And uh, once again, if you're honest and transparent and you believe in yourself, that will come through, right? So everybody has a level of anxiety. I've learned about speaking and communicating and meeting people. Just understand that, put that to the side. We can all do it, right? And make sure you stare people in the eye. I tell that to my kids all the time. You know, don't look at their shoes. Don't look at your shoes. Don't look off to the left or the right. You know, look directly at somebody and have a real conversation. So essentially what I'm hearing from you is if you want to become a better communicator, you got to communicate. If you want to become a better communicator, I think that really goes for any skill set in life is if you have to push yourself to do it, even when you're not great at it yet. I know for me, when I transitioned from engineering into more coaching and speaking and training, I wasn't a 
great speaker at the time, but I just wanted to get out there. I needed to start doing it and, you know, get some critical feedback in the beginning and then just get better at it. And I think that that's just the recipe for improving any skill set is do that skill set as much as you can. And I think even for those that are maybe younger professionals today, because they're maybe more tech savvy, I know I have a couple of teenagers in my household and they're constantly like looking at the screens and just, and even for school, they got to do it for school more than, than we did it for sure. And I think sometimes that makes it a little bit more challenging than to actually engage with people. You know, like you said, look them in the eye and have conversations. So I would just, my point there is get your team doing these things from a young age, whether they're interns or recent graduates, get them up in front of the conference room at a staff meeting, let them talk a little bit about what they're learning, put them in positions to kind of communicate because- they may be a little bit more uncomfortable than others just because they're really even more like tech savvy and more into like some of the screen communication than, than maybe some of us may have been. I think you're really spot on with that. And um, so I have two teenage daughters from a really young age, and this is just a little thing. When we would go to restaurants, I would always have them order. I say, yeah, I'm, I'm not here to order for you. You need to read the menu. You need to look the waiter or waitress in the eye, and you need to place your order, right? So that kind of starts that process. So there's little things we can do. I'll say this too, the best class I took throughout my mechanical engineering degree was technical writing. And the reason it was best is it helped me be succinct, right? So say what you want to say, say it in a clear manner. Don't tell a 20 minute story for something that can be said in 60 seconds. Get to the point, right? And then kind of move on. I think people appreciate that. And that kind of works really well with this TikTok generation. Everybody's attention span is kind of eroded. So if you want to make a point and you want to be heard, you need to get it out pretty clearly and pretty quickly. The attention span is shorter and we need to understand that in our communication efforts. And so that kind of leads me to the next one in confidence. I mean, I think I always tell people, because we do a lot of learning and development programs and we try to teach these different skill sets, communication, networking, et cetera. And you can teach someone the skill sets and kind of teach them to get out there and talk to people. But I think you need confidence to do all of these things, right? And you seem like someone who's got confidence or have built up confidence in your career. Maybe you can just speak to how one can like build some confidence in themselves to be able to go out and do some of these, practice some of these skill sets or engage in some of these leadership activities that you and I have been talking about. There's always a fine line between confidence and, and arrogance. I think a heavy dose of confidence, like you said, is 100% okay and acceptable. And I think it helps with that ambition and, and moving forward. I always try to think about perspective. That's always my word to the organization. And perspective means you're really thinking globally and holistically. So when you're out in the world and you're having these communications, everybody you're meeting with is another human just like you, right? They've got some things in their life that may not be going correct, or they may have some things that they're not confident. And I think talking to our organization, a lot of people lack confidence because they believe that somebody else is better than them and they're going to judge them in a way that, that maybe would reflect poorly. And I'll say this, we're all trying to do the best we can. And I think, especially after the pandemic, everybody gives each other more grace than before. So get out in the world, right? And just give it a try. Feel good about your values, the way you were brought up, what you believe in, the education that you have, the organization that you represent, and uh, just go out there and do it. it. It always starts with one. And like I said before, you practice that and you get better and better. And that confidence starts to build through that path. 
And um, the more you do it and the more feedback you get, the better you're going to be. What you're hearing there is it's the same answer for both, right? If you want to become better at a skill set, you got to get out there and do it. And if you want to build confidence, you got to get out there and do it because every time you do something, you get more confident. And I joined Toastmasters a long time ago to try to become a better public speaker. And their philosophy that they have is the idea of like desensitization. Like the more you do something, the less nervous you are, the more comfortable you are with it. So for example, if I do 10 speeches in Toastmasters, which is what they want you to do, I become a better speaker because I'm speaking more and I'm also becoming more confident in myself by doing that. So kind of the overarching answer there is whatever skills you want to build, get out there, build them, expose yourself a little bit, you know, push yourself beyond your comfort zone. You'll build the skill and you'll build confidence at the same time. You're a hundred percent correct with that. And uh, one thing I, I liked about what you said is outside of your comfort zone. We talk a lot about that uh, within our organization here at Henderson. And if you want to be good at something, you don't feel like you're there, look for opportunities where you can build that skill set, right? So Toastmasters is fantastic. I've never been part of that. I, I know a lot of people like that, but there's so many opportunities within the AC industry and, and probably many of the organizations that our listeners are part of. You know, raise your hand and volunteer. It always starts somewhere, but you have to have that initial confidence, that initial drive to go forward and do that. I always get this question from engineers, Kevin, what is maybe the one trait and we may have already talked about it, but the one like trait or skill set or ability that you feel is like most important in today's world that you would say for an engineer trying to progress in their careers. I mean, I know we talked about communication and maybe that's the answer, but just wanted to get your thought on that question because I get it all the time. Hey, Henderson, I give a, a leadership presentation. It's about an hour and I always talk through what I think are the, the five strongest traits of a leader. So maybe I'll frame it that way. At the top of my list, always number one is honesty, right? It starts and it ends with that. If, if people feel like you're disingenuous, you're not going to get the traction you need as a leader. You're not going to be able to take the organization where it goes. So you've got to be honest about everything you say. Number two, you've got to be competent, right? And in the engineering world, there's a level of credibility with the technical aspects. And I never want to lose that as CEO. So I'm always trying to hone those technical skills and make sure I'm not only competent in the business aspects, but also competent in those engineering aspects that many of our clients hire us for. Number three, you have to be inspirational. A big part of uh, this role and, and just buy-in as a leader is inspiring other people, right? You want to say things that others listen to and say, man, that's a message I can get behind, right? Because we're all trying to affect change and that happens uh, number four, I lo always love to be forward looking. You don't have to be a visionary, but you always have to be looking forward and saying, this is where our current state is. Where can we be in the future? And let's work towards that. So don't get mired down in today, but let's always keep uh, a little bit of an eye towards next week or beyond. And then the last one is a little bit of dynamic nature is always good, especially when you're talking about an expertise that sometimes can be a little bit more mundane. So bring a little bit of fun, a little bit of passion, a little bit of joy, uh, try to be that dynamic in those messages that you're giving, all that together. And if you put a communication bow to it, you're going to be pretty successful in the engineering business. All right. One last question for you, Kevin. We all probably read a lot of books or look at videos related to leadership. I mean, there's so much stuff out there. I'm just wondering if in your kind of progression, there's been a specific book or an author or a philosophy or framework or something that you've maybe leaned on 
that has helped you in your leadership development? I read a ton of different books. Uh, Good to Great is probably my prototypical favorite business book. And there's so many great things in there, but I always, and this is part of the maximizer and me coming out from strengths finders, but I love to take something that's really good. And, and I believe that we can make it really great, right? And that's kind of my philosophy and approach to our organization. I would say we're a borderline great organization. We can always improve, right? So let's let's continue for that. I also love the quote, let's put the right people in the right seats of the bus from that book. Big believer in that. We want you in a role that you wake up every morning and the passion and the fire and the energy is there because you care about what you're doing and it fits uh, your role and mindset. So we work really hard to do that. The other one that I'm, I'm reading now is called Winning on Purpose. And that's a fantastic book, but it's really focused on the client experience. And when you're in a consulting role, I think sometimes we forget that we do this for our clients, right? They hire us for specific reasons. So always want to bolster that aspect of what they're doing. But man, I could probably go on and on. Multipliers is another great book that I, I really believe in, but so many good sources of information. Kevin, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to meet with us and offer up some advice for all of our listeners. I'm sure that they're really going to appreciate it and be able to take some actionable steps from what you've shared. So thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Anthony, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I told you before this started, I listened to a lot of your podcasts and man, I've learned a ton from the information that you have up. So thank you for helping me be a better leader. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much, Kevin. It's been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. I mean, Kevin is a young, sharp engineering leader. Some of the strategies that he gave, what I like about them is they're just so simple and you can apply them, right? Like he talked about, if you want to build a skill set, you got to practice that skill set. By practicing it, you're not only going to get better, but you're going to build your confidence because it's probably something that's uncomfortable. So please take action on these when you can to grow your leadership skills in your career. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And don't forget to please, please utilize our free content. It's there for you. Take action on it and you can engineer your own success. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.